Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're tuned in this morning. Well, it's the pledge drive here at KDUR once again, and I'm excited that you're listening this morning to The God Solution. We're going to get to an incredible show about nature and God and how the two relate to each other. I think it'll answer a lot of questions that a lot of different people have, and it'll be encouraging. But before we get into that, I wanted to mention how thankful I am to Fort Lewis College and KDUR for letting me do this show. As you know, this show is very committed to defending a Christian worldview, and I believe the best evidence supports that Christian worldview, but it is a worldview that our society has shunned in many ways. And it's a worldview that does not have a voice in society at large any longer. In fact, it often seems like Christianity is the one taboo in our modern social context. So with that, I am excited to be able to share what I share on this show with the support of KDUR and FLC. Again, the commitment to free speech is so important. I was talking to somebody this week, and I was talking about the exclusivity of Christ. I was talking about what Tom Thiessen shared on this show a few weeks ago about how exclusive directions are meant for the inclusiveness or the inclusion of the largest number of people, whereas inclusive directions, go anywhere, anytime, do anything, will exclude people. And so the exclusiveness of the Christian message is for the point of inclusivism, to include as many as possible in God's plan. I was explaining that and how Christ claimed to be the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And this person reacted somewhat vehemently against that concept and said, that is so wrong, that is so exclusive. I can't believe you'd be exclusive like that. That is wrong. You need to be inclusive. And I said, are you saying that you're excluding me because of my exclusivism? And this person said, I get what you're saying. And the main point is that inclusivism and pluralism as they are defined and exhibited in society are exclusivistic at their core, even though their proponents fail to realize that. That's a little bit long-winded, but I say all that to say Fort Lewis College and KDUR are not exhibiting that kind of wrong exclusivism. They are actually being tolerant of all ideas and viewpoints, and I'm very thankful, again, that they allow me to do this show here on KDUR. If you're thankful that this show is airing every Sunday morning, I'd ask you to call in right now and make your pledge and donate to KDUR, and make sure to tell them that your favorite show is The God Solution. You can call in and make that pledge right now at 970-247-7262. That's 970-247-7262. Again, I want to also thank Bryant, John, the KDUR staff, Mark Mistowski, and everyone that has made this show possible. I'm passionate about the truth of Christianity, and I love sharing the hope that Jesus offers, which I believe is the only true hope in the world, with everyone I get to meet. And I do that often on campus using a tool that we call the solarium. And the solarium is a stack of pictures that you can give to somebody, and it allows you to hear from them what they think about life and spirituality and God and the universe. It's a great tool. I love it. Often, when I use this tool, people 
will pick the picture of the mountains and nature as an example of how they view God. In fact, I'd say that they pick that picture to represent God more than 75% of the time. That was the case yesterday. I asked a student which picture represented his life right now. He picked the nature scene, the one with the lake and the mountains. Next, I asked him which picture represented how he viewed God. He picked the same picture. Next, I asked him which picture represented his spiritual journey up until today. He picked the same picture. The point being, he saw life and God wrapped up in the beauty of nature. This person was not a Christian, but they epitomized what a lot of students believe and what a lot of people believe, that God is what I see every time I see the beauty in nature. In fact, when I look at the beauty of nature, I can't help but see God. And I think each of us sees God when we look at his creation. Now, there are many different answers that can come out of this. Some would say God is in nature. Some would say God is nature and nature is God. Some would say I connect with God in nature. Some would say nature is my church. Some would say that I need to be in nature instead of in church to connect with God. There's a little bit of agreement there. I'm not going to say you shouldn't go to church, but of course we all feel this incredible proximity to God when we're in his creation. Unfortunately, an elk, a pine tree, a flower won't challenge you when you're getting off track. They're not going to encourage you when you're down and they're not going to help you when you need it. So we need each other and that's the whole reason that there's a church for fellowship, which we need desperately. But it is very true that we can connect with God in nature better than almost anywhere else. There are a lot of different secular ideas about nature that come out of this. I described a few of those a minute ago, like nature is God, God is nature. Some would say God is either transcendent and detached, in other words, he's greater than nature, or he's imminent and ordinary. He's nothing more than a part of nature. Those two different concepts kind of devolve into metaphysical monism and dualism. Monism being the concept that there is only one fundamental substance in the universe. Examples of that would be pantheism. God is the universe. God is reality. All that you see is God and God is it. That would be what many Hindus believe. That would be what Zen Buddhists believe. Unfortunately, pantheism ultimately fails. Sean Hayes writes in the popular encyclopedia of Christian apologetics, the pantheistic concept of ultimate reality is self-defeating. If it is the case that all reality is one and everything else is simply an illusion, then there is no difference between you, a chair, a plant, or a rock. If this is true, then you do not exist as an individual. However, for you to assert that you do not exist is self-defeating, for you would have to exist to affirm that you do not exist, which is a contradiction. Therefore, we can confidently arrive at the conclusion that pantheism is a logical contradiction. Next, we have panentheism, which is the belief that the universe exists in God. Some Hindu and Buddhist perspectives include a panentheist perspective. Neo-paganism, which is very popular to many students today unbeknownst to them, is another example of panentheism. Neo-paganism is a polytheistic worldview. There are many different gods of all different types, mother goddess, earth goddess, etc. It is animistic, 
plants, animals, and nature have souls. They can be interacted with. They can be worshipped. They can be talked to, etc. It's a conglomeration of various spiritual beliefs, including reincarnation and spirit worlds and all these different beliefs. That is what a lot of neo-pagans hold to. And in fact, it's even hard to say that they hold to it because the beliefs are so varied, but they generally encompass some of those themes. It is extremely popular among many people today, and it's closely connected with New Age spirituality, which also is a common perspective, which is a loose deity is everywhere and in everything and me and you perspective. All these panentheistic perspectives have a lot of different problems, though. Geisler writes in the Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics that the idea of a God who is both infinite and finite, necessary and contingent, absolute and relative, is contradictory. Seems from those statements that that is fairly obvious. So the bottom line is that both pantheism and panentheism are logical contradictions. Those are the fundamental concepts of monism. Next, we have dualism, the concept that there are two fundamental substances in nature. That could be mind and matter. That could be God and matter, etc. You might come to a deistic perspective from dualism, the idea that God created everything but is separate and detached from his creation. So you have creation on one side, God on the other side. In this kind of concept, God is not all-powerful, but just one part of metaphysical reality. He created all that there is out of matter that already existed. In this kind of concept of dualism, where did God and matter or whatever else exists come from? If God is not all-powerful, how can I trust him? Is there any way to know spiritual truth? And the answer to all those is no. There is no way to know spiritual truth. God is not all-powerful in a purely dualistic perspective. And there's no way to know where he or everything else came from. In this strictly dualistic perspective, everything is contingent on a hypothetical, metaphysical battle, if you will, between God and other forces and all that turning into what we see around us. It reminds me a whole lot about ancient Near East myth and myth in general, and it's not correct. The Christian perspective is very different from these other two perspectives. The Christian perspective holds that God is greater than nature, that he created it from nothing a finite time ago. That's actually exactly what the science says happened. I'll discuss that more in a minute. And that he created it good for his own purposes and glory, not just arbitrarily for no reason. He is not the same as his creation, as monism would say. That is self-contradictory. And there are not two fundamental substances, as dualism would say. This is ultimately ambiguous. In reality, God is transcendent and immanent. He's both God over creation and God in creation. He is greater than creation because he created it all, yet he interacts with his creation in a personal way and in a way that human beings can come to know him in and through what he's created. See, he's revealed himself to us in many ways through what he has created all around us. The Christian holds to a perspective of two main types of revelation. We have general revelation, and that's the revelation of God in his creation, of God in history, and 
human beings and so forth. Next, we also have special revelation, his Bible, God's word, which relates to the natural world around us and which can be confirmed as we investigate the natural world as well. All this, though, boils down to the reality that the Christian worldview accurately describes this relationship between God and nature in an incredible way. That brings me to a concept that I think merits discussion at this point. See, when we look at creation and we see God in his creation, when we see his characteristics in creation, we can't help but love creation. That's very different than loving God. Just as I do this show, you might love this show, you might hate this show, I'm sure I have some listeners that disagree with a lot of what I say, but you might love this show, that doesn't mean that you love me. See, when we create things, people can love those things, it doesn't necessarily mean that they love us. Similarly, loving God's creation is not the same as loving God. Environmentalism is important. We should love God's creation and treat it with respect. That's natural for anyone that loves nature. That's why I think it's important to talk about that at this point. What we need to remember is that if God does not exist, if an objective moral law giver and enforcer does not exist, then there is no objective right or wrong. And if that is the case, then there is no reason to protect the environment or anything for that matter. If the environment is nothing more than atoms and molecules, there's no reason to protect any of it. So true environmentalism requires more than an environment. It requires more than nature itself. Similarly, if evolution is true, then might makes right and survival of the fittest rules the day. And if that's correct, then we shouldn't stress protecting the environment because that goes against evolutionary progress and the strongest species surviving. I would argue that naturalism and evolution are not correct. And that leads us to the Christian perspective on the environment, which is stewardship. See, I think the Christian has the only objective and valid perspective on environmentalism. God made the world good, Scripture tells us, Genesis 1.31. He entrusted it to us to rule it. That's in Genesis 1.28. He entrusted it to us to take care of it, Genesis 2.15. And he wants us to be wise stewards of that and everything that he entrusts us with. That's in Matthew 25. See, because of the view of God and his relation to nature, Christians can have a correct perspective on environmentalism. This is God's good creation, which he's entrusted to me to take care of and to steward wisely because I love him and all that he has created. With that in mind, I want to say that I apologize for the many Christians that have given a different perspective on the environment. We should be wise environmentalists. I used to work in the environmental field as the air quality specialist for the Southern Ute Indian tribe, and I loved working for them for the two years that I was there. And I loved being able to help protect this amazing natural world that God created. There is, however, a lot of nonsense out there. Creation isn't greater than the creator. Creation isn't greater than humans created in God's image. And a lot of the different environmental catastrophes that people are describing are really mirages. And there are different environmental issues that we should be concerned with. See, the Bible says the whole universe is under a curse due to man's sin. 
In Genesis 3.17, God tells Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you, referring to his sin. In Romans 8.20-22, we're told, The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Sin and selfishness caused the initial decay of God's good creation, and sin and selfishness continue to do the same today. So as we think about God and his relation to nature, the fact that God created it from nothing, yet reveals himself to us through it, we should be wise about how we take care of this very good world that God has entrusted to us. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution here on KDUR, 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. We're talking about the relationship between God and nature. It's an interesting discussion, and I hope you'll stay tuned for the rest of it. But before we get to that, I want to ask you to call in right now and make your pledge to KDUR in support of The God Solution. The number that you can call to make a donation is 970-247-7262. That's 970-247-7262. I am so thankful that Fort Lewis and KDUR allow me to continue doing this show. And if you agree that free speech is a good thing and you want to see this show kept on the air, please call in now at 970-247-7262 and make a donation. Thanks so much. So what about the Christian perspective on the environment? I briefly described it a minute ago, and I'll continue now. God is both transcendent and imminent. God is greater than the universe he created Yet he reveals himself in that universe and interacts with it. Nature is beautiful because God is beautiful and because God made nature. God desires to lead us towards himself through the beauty of his creation. God reveals himself to us in his creation. I've mentioned that several times. Now I want to read a scripture that tells us that very thing. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Science confirms the fact that the universe began a finite time ago out of nothing. This implies a non-natural, in other words, a supernatural, creation for the universe. It also implies that whatever agent caused the universe was eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, and benevolent, the classical attributes of God described in the Bible. Eternal because the creator of this universe created and supersedes time. Omnipresent because the creator of this universe created and supersedes space. Omnipotent because the creator of this universe created and supersedes all matter and material processes. Omniscient because the creator of this universe created and supersedes information, design, and intelligence. Benevolent because the creator of this universe created all of this in such a way that human beings could enjoy life and discover the creator. I've heard many atheists saying that those attributes of God are simply humans portraying themselves in a glorified sense onto the universe. That's nonsense. The very creation of the universe out of nothing a finite time ago, which is scientifically confirmed, demands those characteristics of whatever caused this universe to be. Interestingly, it is 
the biblical worldview which attributes those very characteristics to God. The beauty of God's creation should lead me to him, the creator. And even though this universe is tainted by sin, and it really is, and we see that all around us, I can still see him in his creation. That reminds me, too, of the hope that we have of heaven, the hope promised by Jesus himself and backed up by his resurrection when he conquered death for you and me. Remember, he's the only religious figure that's ever done such a thing. He says, I am making everything new in Revelation 21.5. Similarly, Scripture says that the earth will be made new. Isaiah 65.17, Peter 3.13, Revelation 21.1. Nature will be perfect again when he recreates it new, just like every person in him is a new creation as well. Even though this world is tainted by our sin, and even though it's in bondage to decay, as scripture says, because of our sin, we can still see him in his creation. And we have the hope that we will be in heaven with him if we put our faith in him. And in that time and place, everything will be made new again, including heaven and earth. I want to read a little bit of scripture about the beauty of nature. See, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Every time I look at nature, I can't help but see God. Psalm 104 is a beautiful psalm that describes God and his relationship to nature and creation. It says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the pine trees, the high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan which you formed to frolic there. 
These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. A beautiful psalm describing God and his relationship to nature how he's present in the nature he created and how all nature depends and relies on him and glorifies him and points to him and how we can do nothing more than praise him with humble hearts when we see all that he has done in the world around us. Again, as Romans one twenty says, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. See, God is drawing you to himself through his created world, through his kindness. We all see him in his creation. You know that God exists when you observe his creation. Descartes says, but as regards God, if I were not overwhelmed by philosophical prejudices, and if the images of things perceived by the senses did not besiege my thought on every side, I would certainly acknowledge him sooner and more easily than anything else. For what is more manifest than the fact that the supreme being exists, or that God, to whose essence alone existence belongs, exists. Descartes is telling us that you can't help but know that God exists. Plantinga would say that the belief in God is a properly basic belief. If you've lived on this earth for any time at all, you'll come to a belief in God, Plantinga would say, unless you've been confused by wrong ideas and thoughts and bad logic. Timothy Keller would put it a lot more simply. He'd say, you know that God exists. Don't ignore him. See, the gentleman that I talked with earlier this week, that I began talking about at the beginning of this show, that picked the nature picture for his description of God and spirituality and life and all these different things, he told me very plainly, how could you look at nature and not believe that God exists? And I can't help but agree with that statement. And I think that each of you listening today would readily recognize that that's true. Romans 2.4 says God's kindness leads you toward repentance. And God has made his world beautiful to kindly lead you towards repentance, towards trusting in him as you see him in his created world. And just like God will make everything in creation new, he desires to make you new as well. See, just like sin destroys the created world, sin destroys and separates us from God. Yet 2 Corinthians 5.17 in the New Testament promises, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And with that in mind, I want to tell you the main issue in the gospel. And that's that Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. God loves you infinitely. Yet you are sinful and separated from him, as am I. Jesus came and lived a perfect life on this planet, God in human flesh. He died on the cross to pay for my sins so that anyone who believes in him would be forgiven and could live for all of eternity in a new heaven and new earth with him. 
and could experience an abundant life on this earth until that time. I hope that you'll take that step today and put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'd also like to invite you to Grace Church this morning. They'll be meeting at 1440 Florida Road at 1045 a.m. And I'd like to invite you to the last Connect of the Year this Tuesday at 6 p.m. in Noble 125. As we conclude the show, I'd also like to encourage you to get out and enjoy God's creation, his good creation, and to enjoy him in creation today as well. One last time, I'd like to ask you to call in and pledge your support for KDUR and The God Solution. You can call in right now at 970-247-7262. Again, that's 970-247-7262. I'm so thankful again for KDUR allowing me to do this show every Sunday. So please call in 970-247-7262 and pledge your support for The God Solution and KDUR. Get all our previous shows at GodSolutionShow.com and please let us know what you think. We appreciate your comments and questions. Remember, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope that as you enjoy the created world that God created, the beautiful created world that's all around us here in Durango, that you'd come to see him and his creation and to value him even more than his creation and to put your trust in him as well. Thanks so much for listening today. Have a great Sunday. Oh.